All right, we are going to continue our series in the book of Galatians. How many of y'all have been encouraged through the book of Galatians so far? We've had four or five, six weeks uh, in the book of Galatians. And as we're going through this, I'm just reminded how gospel-centered the book of Galatians is. It's a short, power-packed book that is so gospel-centered. And here as a church, here at City Church, we aim to be gospel-centered. And all that we do in our speech, in our living, in our conduct, in our thinking, we want how we live and how we think and how we talk to be saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ because that's what the message of the Bible is about. Amen? So the last two weeks, we looked at gospel freedom. We looked at how we've been set free from the dominion and the power of sin. We've been set free from legalism, from striving to try to earn favor and status with God. We looked at gospel blessings, like being adopted as a child of God, as being redeemed and bought back from, uh, redeemed from sin and and, and um, transferred out of Satan's power and his kingdom into the kingdom of God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He's given us an inheritance. And, and Paul is continuing to build uh, upon what he's already said in the previous chapters, in the previous sections of Galatians. And he continues to talk about this new life and this new freedom and this blessing that we have in Jesus Christ as God's very own children. Two weeks ago, we looked at Galatians 4 where it says that because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That is amazing. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at this morning the way of the Spirit. This new life that you and I have through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, Paul starts out in verse 16 and 17. He starts out talking about this conflict that goes on between our flesh, our sinful nature... And the Spirit. And I want to ask you, before we dive into the text here, when was the last time that you thought about or considered that a conflict you were having with somebody else was not somebody else being the major problem? Not, not the world, not your employer, not your spouse, not your kids, not your circumstances, not your finances, not your health, not whatever, but rather this battle of desire going on within your heart, within you, your sinful nature versus what the Spirit of God wants for you. And we're going to look at that this morning because that is a reality. that The, the reality that we have been set free and we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Those of us who have become Christians, we're free. There's life. There's liberty, there's love, there's joy, there's acceptance, there's security. We have identity and inheritance. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know where we're going. Everything's different now. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But though we're free from the the, the dominion of sin and Satan in the world, we're not free from the conflict that we have ongoing throughout the rest of this life as long as we are living in this body. There is still a battle to be waged, a war to be waged. There is temptation, there is struggle, and we will experience that in this life until Jesus comes back or until we go home. Amen. So let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and help us to understand the truth. And I pray that this morning, God, that you would work through my weakness and that with your grace, you would bring life that you would bring understanding, that I would honor you and honor your word and how I handle it this morning, and that I would help your people by feeding them with the word of God, speaking the words of life over them. And I pray that today, God, we would experience victory over our flesh, that we would experience new freedom, new life, And that we would experience more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ... Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All God's people said, Amen. So here's where we're going this morning from this text. Is that every Christian has an ongoing internal conflict of desires and must learn to make war on sin by keeping in step with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has an ongoing internal conflict of desires and must learn to make war on sin by keeping in step with the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you talk to some of the the oldest, godliest saints that you know who are alive today, I'm sure if you would have asked Billy Graham in his later years, do you still have any struggle with the flesh? Do you still have any temptations? Are there any things that are are that still that you have to guard against in 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 your old age? Even though you've been walking with the Lord for many years, I'm sure they would tell you yes. Yes, it's an ongoing battle. No matter how holy you are, no matter how how greatly God has used you, no matter uh, how disciplined you are and how, how many good things you have done, how much fruit has come forth from your life, you and I, as long as we're in this body, we will have this war within us. There is, a, And it is a conflict of our desires. There's our sinful nature. And then there's the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who leads us, and gives us desires that are godly, that are pure, that are righteous, that are holy. Now before I was a Christian and before you were a Christian, we, uh, for the most part, we just went with the flow of sin. It wasn't so much a struggle. My wife was talking in college, sharing with me this week how in college they used to ask Somebody would say in confessing, man, I'm struggling with this sin or I'm struggling with that sin. And they would ask one another, are you struggling with it or like, are you just going with the flow of it? Are you like letting it dominate you? Or, I mean, are you really like putting some, some, some pushback on that sin or are you just like a fish swimming up, swimming, uh, along with all the rest of the fish? As Christians, we are called to live a life that is going upstream. We're going against the desires of our sinful nature. We're going against this world system and the way that the world does things. And we're going against the powers and the principalities of darkness that are coming against us. And so we have this conflict, not only going on out there, with spiritual battle and with the world and with people of the world and, and, and people who are unjust and ungodly and unrighteous and that hate us and try to, or try to, try to attack us. But we have this internal battle going on within us. And I submit to you that this is probably our biggest problem right here. It's been said that your, your biggest enemy really is, is yourself, your flesh, your sinful nature. And if we're going to get victory out here in these relationships and in life and work and marriage and family, 
then we need to get victory in here. We, we need to win this battle in here. We need to make war on our sinful nature. Don't coddle it. Don't cater to it. Don't indulge it. We looked at last, last week in, in, in Galatians 5.13. Paul said, don't, uh, for you brothers have been called to freedom. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. So Paul tells us what we're to do with the freedom that we have. We're not to indulge our flesh. We are to deny it, to crucify our flesh, to not let it rule over us, and we're to lovingly serve others. We're to give ourselves to helping out those who are around us. And that is the most fulfilling life that we could have when we're doing that. So there's this war going on within us. Notice in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. The desires of the flesh. What your flesh wants, your sinful nature wants, is against the Spirit. You still have, though you're a new creation and though the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you still have a flesh. And, and you will, are still prone to temptation. Jesus Christ Himself, the sinless Son of God, who walked this earth, who never sinned, because He became a man, He was, He was able to be tempted. He was tempted. We know at least three times He was tempted in the wilderness, and each time Jesus had to actively resist Satan's temptation with the Word of God saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. When Satan tempts you and he appeals to your flesh for something, how are you fighting against that? Are, do you entertain the thoughts that he sends your way? Or are you actively resisting and making war on sin? Let me just say this too. When you are tempted and when you have desires of the flesh that rise up against you, that doesn't necessarily equal sin. Because Jesus himself was tempted yet without sin. But when that temptation comes, it's what you do with it, whether it becomes sin or not. When the thought comes, if you let the enemy rehearse that in your mind, you let the DVD play in your mind, and you're thinking in your mind the thoughts that, the sinful thoughts that he presented to you, and you let it go in your mind, then you're sinning internally. And therefore, you need to confess that sin. You need to fight against that sin. You need to address it as sin once you're entertaining the thoughts. Because Jesus says, Stuff like this, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. And so we can't address our sin merely at a behavioral level. We must address it as at a motivational level, at the level of our desires. You see, the same, the same with parenting. It's not enough to just curve the behavior of our kids, right? Those of us who are parents, it's not enough that, 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 that they, they don't just not hit their brother or sister, knock them out, make them cry, but, 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 but the very attitude and the words and the, and the disposition towards their brother or sister needs to be changed. Why? It, when, as a parent, we want to get to, when they do something wrong, not just address the behavior, but why? Why, why did you do that? What's going on? What made you feel like that? And why did you actually strike your brother or sister? <laughs> so we must, we must fight against sin at a motivational level. We gotta deal with our heart. The Bible over and over and over focuses on the heart, the heart issue. So it's not enough to just address behavior. Legalism addresses behavior externally. And throughout this book, Paul's addressing the issue of legalism. And it's not enough to just set up these boundaries and these laws to where you're not going to do certain things because externally it's sinful. You see, the Pharisees were really good at setting up these, ex these external regulations and laws and rules, but internally they were sinning majorly within their hearts with greed and hatred and, and lust and so on. And so we gotta, we gotta deal with our sin at a motivational level. Paul described the battle that, that Christians have in Romans 7, verse 15 through 17. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, some theologians don't think that Paul was describing this as a experience that he had as a believer, as a Christian. Some theologians think that this was pre-Paul uh, coming to Christ. Others would say this is... Uh, this was Paul after becoming a Christian. He, he had a struggle with sin, just like every other Christian has. He wasn't a sinless apostle. He, Jesus was the only sinless man who ever walked the earth, right? Either way, whatever, whatever side you fall on theologically, I'm sure your own experience as a Christian would argue the, the, the latter. That after becoming a Christian and after being one with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's this internal conflict going on with you. And there's been times that you or I have lost the battle to the flesh. There are times that we've given in. The flesh said, I want this and I want it now. And we went after it. And we gave and then we felt terrible after. We felt convicted and, and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't sin like we once did when we were not Christians. Like a sinning Christian is like Jonah, miserable. Like life is really, it's, it's hard to be a Christian and, and continue in a path of sin, right? And so Paul describes this, this battle that was going on with, within him, and I think it's a battle that each one of us can identify with. Especially if, if you're a parent, you get many opportunities uh, to put your, your flesh in check. Marriage is a sanctifying relationship. In many ways, and parenting just kind of takes that up to another level, at least if you'll let the Holy Spirit do the work that He wants to do in you through it. My wife and I have done pre-marriage counseling uh, several times, and one of the things that we have said to young couples who were so excited about getting married and, and have this idealistic idea of what marriage is going to be like, they have expectations, sometimes reasonable, sometimes unreasonable expectations uh, regarding what marriage will be like. Uh, one of the things that we we communicate to these young couples that are planning to get married is that the more you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the sancti- sanctification process, the smoother marriage is going to go for you. The more you indulge your flesh internally and you lose the battle within your own heart, inside, the more conflict there's going to be with your spouse, with your kids, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, with everybody else in the world. Everybody else is the problem. They need a change. And God says, no, I want to work on this right here. You're focused on everyone else. You can't change everyone else. You don't have the power to. But I can change your heart if you'll let me. And that's what God does. And so this week I had opportunity as I'm thinking about this and studying the, the battle against the flesh and the spirit. Um, one of the times that my wife and I have opportunity to put our, che- our flesh in check is at dinner time with our little kids. Um, we want to have an enjoyable family dinner where everybody's sitting down and everybody's using their inside voice and everybody's eating their broccoli and their Brussels sprouts and their chicken and, and we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about what God's doing in our lives. And so we have this desire for family dinner time that doesn't always go how we plan or hope that it would go. And this week we had one of those and one of my children was not eating their food, and so tensions were rising, right? And so, like, dinner time can sometimes end up being a lot longer than we want it to be. And so, so tensions were rising, and as tensions were rising, my four-year-old daughter, uh, she sat down kind of with an attitude and kind of scoot her milk over towards me, and the milk spilled out over, and it went onto my arm and onto the table. Thankfully, it didn't tip over. And I kind of paused for a moment, and then the, my other kids, they all started laughing. And they're like, ah! Like, and so in, I'm paused for a moment, and I'm like, in this moment, I'm on the crux of either getting angry and start correcting 
and t- taking some discipline action or thankfully I just started laughing with them and I chose not to take myself too seriously and I chose joy in that moment I chose joy over anger I chose to just let it go and not cry over some spilled milk literally not get mad over some spilled milk because spills are just going to happen, right? They're just going to happen, especially with little ones. And in that moment, there's this, there's this tension, this conflict going, going on inside. I want there to be happy time with family. But our happiness isn't dependent upon our external circumstances. We can be like thermostats or we can be like thermometers. We can, we can be affected by everybody else and just gauge the atmosphere and our happiness is based on whether everybody else is happy. Or we can be thermostats who change the atmosphere, who bring joy, who bring peace, who bring love, who bring kindness and patience and goodness and, and self-control. And that's our vision here at City Church. Our vision here is to know Jesus and to love people and impact your world. We are about that here. And walking in the way of the Spirit lines up totally with what we envision here in being and doing as God's people. And so we must fight sin against the motivational level. Don't just address the behaviors. Don't just address our words or our actions, but go deeper to the heart, to the desire. What's driving us? Ask ourselves, why did I say that? Why was I thinking that? And start addressing sin when it's going on in here. Don't wait till it happens out here. And if you do that, you'll have much more victory in your battle over sin. Also, we must fight against sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that we don't have to do this in our own strength. God hasn't left us to ourselves to try to figure out our way and, and, and lean on our own understanding and on our own resources to try to make it through this life. God has given us not only pardon for our sin, He's purchased us through His Son, The Father has planned our salvation. The Son has purchased it. And the Holy Spirit personalizes it. And He empowers us to be who God's called us to be. Romans 8, 12, and 13 says this. And I encourage everybody this week to read Romans 8 and just let this sink in. uh, Because there's there's several parallels in Romans 8 here. Uh, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice that last phrase. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. We must make war on sin and we must do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Not... Not by legislating uh, and putting laws on, well, I'm just not going to do this. But, but let the Spirit of God, ask the Spirit of God, invite the Spirit of God. Be aware that the Spirit of God is working in your life as a Christian. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is leading His people. Now, we don't, we, we don't always do the best following but he's always leading us. He's always taking initiative. So the works of the flesh, let's go into this. this is, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. We know, we know what the, the flesh is when we see it. Our kids know. Don't they, mom and dad? They know what the flesh is when they see it. You don't have to tell them. They don't have to know this list and have it memorized to tell you something's wrong, mom or dad. You're, something's wrong with you right now. You're not, you're not being yourself here. Uh, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's a couple way to break these down here. Uh, we have at first the sensual sins list, listed, such as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
And so there's sensual sins there. There's religious sins, idolatry, sorcery. Uh, and then there's social sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies. And those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, most of us don't tolerate those sensual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, like we're not going to let that stuff in our lives, right? As Christians. Uh, but the social sins, those tend to be what we tolerate a little bit more. We tend to justify maybe some anger towards a brother or strife with a brother or division with a sister. So we tend to let some of those things go and let some of those things slide, but they're just as much the works of the flesh as the other ones are, right? They're just as destructive. And then there's there's also lastly the intemperate sins of, of drunkenness and, and orgies and just living uncontrolled just letting loose and living in excess and letting the flesh dominate. And so the works of the flesh are destructive. These things destroy relationships. They destroy marriages. They destroy parent relationships with children. They destroy churches. They destroy communities. And those who practice this kind of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who continually practice these things, whose lives are characterized by them, have no place in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, they've never been a part of the family of God truly. They've never been born again. Those who continue practicing these things. And so Paul is saying in, in that last verse in verse 21, the, those who do such things in that he's not, he's not saying that Christians will never do these things. If you're a true Christian, you will never ever do these things. But he is saying that those who practice them, those who continue to do these things aren't a part of God's people. They're not a part of the kingdom of God. Don't, first Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, he says, don't be deceived. Um, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither adulterers, drunkards, and he goes on to this a similar list to this right here. Those who live like this aren't fit for the kingdom. They haven't been changed. They haven't received a new identity. They haven't been born again. Okay? Now, if you struggle with these things as a Christian, um, there's hope for you. And again, it's to have struggle isn't necessarily sin. To have temptation isn't necessarily sin. But if these things are dominating your life and you're a Christian, then that's unacceptable. Right? Because Christ has set us free. We don't have to walk in bondage anymore to these things. And, and again, you know, these, these Judaizers who were practicing legalism and were emphasizing the keeping of the law... These guys were walking in the flesh just as much. And their sins were probably coming out more as social sins. The divisions, the, um, the anger, the rivalries, the, the enmity, the strife. Those, those kinds of things tend to come out in the legalist life. They won't, they won't tolerate the sexual morality and purity stuff, right? At least not externally. Those kinds of things that pick up stones and stone those brothers and sisters, right? If they're living in that, right? At least that's the kind of mindset. Verbally or even literally, right? In Jesus' day, they were ready to stone the adulterer. Jesus says, He who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. So the works of the flesh are destructive. I, I don't want to spend too much more time on that. I know we have some children here too and don't want to go into that too much. Um, but the next point here is that, that the way of the Spirit is desirable. Isn't this what you want for your life? Isn't this what you want for your spouse? Isn't this what you want for your community? You want the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you long for those things? This is real Christianity. This is what it looks like to really be following Jesus. This is the kind of fruit that comes from your life when you're really walking with Jesus. And when you're really not walking with Jesus, the works of the flesh are coming out more and more. 
But the longer you're walking with Jesus, this fruit should, should begin to, to, to be, come forth more and more. Now, when you first plant a seed, you may not see a whole lot happen at first. But Christian growth is inevitable. It will happen. If you're truly a child of God, if you're born again, John says you're going to have love. You're going to love God. You're going to love people. Otherwise, you're not a child of God. And this is the, the very first characteristic listed is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. When you have the Spirit living inside of you, when you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're living life in the Spirit as a Christian, this is what the path looks like. Gosh, we want that. Against such things, there's no law. Nobody's going to put a law on these things. Like, man, man, Giovanni, you are just too, too loving and joyful at, 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 at Zoe's. And we gotta just like, we gotta cut that out. You can't, you can't be working with all the customers and the employees with all that love and joy and that peace in your life. We, 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 we just don't do that here. Nobody's gonna say that. Nobody's gonna put a law on these things. These are good. Non-Christians would agree that that these things are good. I was encouraged um, just yesterday when we posted just the, the dental clinic that we're going to be doing that Mike and Rosemary are, are generously uh, giving of their time and resources to and a couple other dentists. I was encouraged by how many people from the outside were just like, thank you and like, this is great. Thank you guys for doing this. Nobody's going to put laws on like, you can't love and serve people, right? You can't, this is a good thing. We want, we want to walk in this. And this is a part of our, our testimony as Christians. By this, Jesus said in John 13, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That should mark our lives. That, that's a part of who we are here. That's what we're aiming for. And all of these characteristics listed in the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. That's what it looks like to mature as a follower of Jesus. It's to grow in love, to grow in joy. We have joy because our sins are forgiven and we have this relationship with God and we rejoice, as, as Jesus told His disciples, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. We have this heavenly connection with God and our joy is based on that not based on our earthly circumstances. So nothing has to steal our joy. We can walk in that, and the Spirit produces that. And, and that should come forth more and more in our lives. Like, has anybody planted a, a tomato plant or done any kind of planting and just kind of, you've seen just the gradual growth and the increase of that fruit? Just over a period of time, it gets water, it gets sun, it gets the nutrients that it needs, and it just it grows, right? Isn't that just a, a nice process? And that's the imagery that Paul uses for the Christian. There's this fruit that's just gradually growing. It's inevitable. It's going to happen, and it's gradually growing in our lives. And it's a cluster of fruit together. A lot of people refer to it as the fruits of the Spirit, uh, Paul, I think, intentionally says the fruit of the Spirit. These things should be together in our lives as fruit. Okay, they, they go together. Uh, he calls the flesh the works of the flesh. He calls the, the, the Spirit work the fruit of the Spirit because it's, it's the results of the Spirit of God bringing it forth. He's the producer ultimately. He lives inside of us. And spiritual fruit has internal roots. It's not just stuff that we connect loosely outside. Just we put on a smile externally, but don't have joy internally. Right? I shared several weeks ago, I shared about the story of the two brothers who were mischievously sneaking out at nighttime through the second floor window down on through a tree that was next to their house. And they were disappointed when they heard their parents talking about cutting that tree down because it didn't have fruit on it and it was too close to the house. And so they decided that they would uh, go to the store and buy some apples and get some yarn and tie some fruit onto the limbs of those trees. And then their parents saw the tree with apples on it. And the wife 
the mother was was amazed and said, honey, look, our apple tree has fruit on it now. We can't cut it down. And the dad said, honey, that's a pear tree. That, what's that doing with apples on it? Right? And so these guys, these guys were trying to keep their tree so that they can do their mischievous things that they were doing late at night, uh, sneaking down through it. But I, I share that just to point out that fruit is something that, that comes from the inside out. It has eternal, internal roots. It's not just external activity that we attach to our lives. It comes from the inside out, from the Holy Spirit truly living inside of us. It's fruit. And it starts, fruit starts with a little seed, right? A plant or a tree, it starts with a little tree, with a little seed and, and it grows and it grows over a period of time. Uh, Tim Keller shares a story about, um, a guy who died and was was buried and 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 uh, he had a marble slab there uh, with his grave and somehow an acorn seed fell into the grave and over a long period of time this little acorn grew into a tree and it split the the marble slab. Now, if you were if you were going to bet on this marble slab or that little acorn seed, which would win over a period of time, you would probably say the marble slab, right? But the the power of this seed just it continued to grow and grow, and it broke the marble slab. If if you have if you ever had any foundation issues, you know, with with your house, sometimes roots. I know some of us have had some of that. Roots can mess up foundational stuff underneath your house. Anyways, that's a sideshow. Um, the, the way of the Spirit is desirable. So love, joy, peace. The peace that we have is a result of being uh, made right with God and having peace with God. Our sins are forgiven. We're not enemies of God any longer. We're friends of God. We have peace with Him and that should translate into every other relationship, into our homes, into our workplaces. We should be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We are, we should be the the um, thermostat that that brings peace, that changes peace, the level of peace in the atmosphere. And so our peace isn't based on everything going well for us. Our peace is based on this relationship we have with Christ. Patience, or I like the King James rendering of this long suffering. Okay, like your long the the ideas you 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 bear with under it you stay under the pressure under the hard times when it's coming at you you don't get out of the oven prematurely right patience we need that we need that with every relationship we need patience kindness that disposition towards others of 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 serving loving and and uh acts of kindness goodness uh, faithfulness, uh, that, that just consistency, that steadiness, that dependability, gentleness. This is one characteristic that Jesus Christ himself identified with. He said, learn from me. I'm lowly and I'm gentle at heart. Learn from me. In Matthew, Matthew 11, right? And so here's the king of kings, the lion of Judah, the one who's mighty and strong, who's yet gentle and tender. And then self-control, lastly. Um, Paul says in, in first, uh, Second Timothy 1, he says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control or sound mind. And so having the Holy Spirit leading our lives doesn't mean that we're out of control. We have self-control. And against such things, there's no law. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh. They've made war on it. They've declared war against my sinful nature. Sinful nature, flesh, you're not going to dominate me. They've declared war on their flesh and they've crucified it. They haven't coddled it. They haven't catered to it. They have crucified the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit with its passions and its desires. And I tell you, the, the, the flesh surely has a remarkable way of resurrecting, doesn't it? Or popping back up. And so it's, this isn't just a one-time battle for us. It's an ongoing dying to ourselves. Okay, we, we can't coast in, when it comes to spiritual growth. It's, it's a continual, there's some intentionality about it. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
the idea of being led by the Spirit is, is passive, right? So the Holy Spirit's the initiator and He's leading us. But this idea of walking by the Spirit is, is active. It's intentional. Okay, He's leading us. He's going to continue to lead us. But we have to walk step by step with the promptings that He's leading us with. He's, if you're a child of God, you're, you're led by the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and He's giving you His desires. You want to be like Jesus. You want to love. You want to serve. You want to bless people because God has put that in you. That's your DNA. It's who you are as a child of God. And when you do the works of the flesh, that's not who you are. Those, those do not define your life. Verse 24, Paul calls, you know, the, Galatians back to their identity. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. And so victory over sin in our lives is the fruit of the gospel transforming us from the inside out. It's the grace of God working in our lives. We can't do that in our own strength. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean? F.F. Bruce says this, to walk by the Spirit means to let your conduct be directed by the Spirit. I, I like I like the imagery of the sail, the the um, uh, sailboat that that you put the sail up. Okay, there's some dependability upon the wind. You can't make the wind blow, but you can put the sail up and position it to be empowered. Right, and so we're told in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians five. To walk, another theologian, Fung says, to walk in the Spirit means to be under the the constant moment by moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit. John Stott says, if it is the Spirit who does the leading, but we do the walking. We're responding to His leading. Tim Keller says this, to be led by the Spirit is to change and be changed. To be people, to be the people we want to be. The Spirit-fueled development of Christ-like character is liberating because it brings us closer to being the people we were designed to be. The people our Spirit-renewed hearts want to be. One more theologian says this. Morris says, Walking is a metaphor used from time to time in Scripture to denote spiritual progress. People in the first century could not travel as fast as we do with our cars and planes and trains and and the like. But even so, for them, as for us, walking was the slowest way of going places. But even though walking was slow and unspectacular, walking meant progress. I love that. If anyone kept walking, she or he would certainly cover the ground and eventually reach the destination. So for the apostle, walking was an apt metaphor. If any believer was walking, that believer was going somewhere. If you're walking after the Spirit, you may not see spectacular things every day. Some Christians, more charismatic Christians, tend to emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And and we, we believe in those. We embrace those here. We use those here. But to have the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in our life without the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in our life, we're majoring on a minor. We're missing the bigger picture. Paul directed the Corinthians who had that issue in 1 Corinthians and he gives them a whole chapter on what? Chapter 13 of Corinthians. On love. Because that's, that's the major that, that every Christian needs to focus on. That's what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit. You're going to be loving towards people. That's what we aim for here. That's our goal here for. So practically, how do we do this? How do we continue to walk in the Spirit? First of all, just, I want to remind you that you have the Spirit of God living, living inside of you. Like, live with that awareness that He's in you. God, God the Spirit lives inside of you. When you experience the presence of God, when you experience a touch from God, you may or may not get goosebumps. But when you do and God's working in your heart and doing what He's doing, that's the Holy Spirit who's with you. You're never alone. 
There may be times when you feel like you're alone, Christian. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of the Son in our hearts with us, comforting us, teaching us, guiding us, convicting us, interceding for us, grieving over us when we choose the works of the flesh. Sometimes quenched by us, by our actions and our words. But He is there to stay. You, have, Christian, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are the dwelling place of God. Let that just excite your heart. I mean, I think, I think the way throughout our week, if we lived with an awareness that God is in us and He's with us, I think everything would be different for us. I think the way we talk to others, the way we think, I think we'd be, it would be changed. I think we would pray more. We would thank more. We would, uh, we would live with reverence more. We would live with joy more. Knowing that, you know what, God sees that little act of faithfulness on your job. You think nobody else sees and appreciates it, but God really does and He delights in your faithfulness that's, that you're walking out, right? That you're walking in. And so here's, here's a practical. Focus your mind on the things of the Spirit. So to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, you and I need to focus our attention on the things of the Spirit. Romans, 5, 5, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But the verse goes on and says, But you are not in the flesh, if, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you, guiding you, convicting you. And when you you get out of step, like you're walking in line and you get out of step with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there to let you know. You may lack some peace because you got out of line. There's something, something's not right. I grieve the Holy Spirit with the way that I talk to my spouse or, or my coworker. And I, I need to go back and, and make that right. Right, the Holy Spirit doesn't get us, let us get away with that stuff. Right, he, he brings it back to our remembrance, and thankfully, when He does, we can confess it as sin. When we blow it, when we get out of step, we can confess our sins to God and acknowledge that we were unloving, that we were unkind, that we that we weren't faithful, that we weren't joyful. So the way of Christ is the way of the Spirit. To those who belong to Christ. Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So, so a couple application points here. Focus your attention on the things of the Spirit. Notice in verse 16 it says, um, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we put our focus on not sinning. I'm not going to sin. 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 I'm not going to do that sin. I'm not going to touch that sin over there. And we're focusing on not doing it and we're just getting closer to it because we're, we're thinking about it. And we need to set our mind on what we need to do and or what has been done for us or who we are, what God has said. And just a practical way to focus on the things of the Spirit is meditate on Scripture. God has, the Holy Spirit has inspired a book for us with words of truth and life for us that will help lead us and be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we focus on loving instead of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow up on so-and-so. I'm not going to blow up on so-and-so. Like, don't be just reactive when you're in the spot. Be proactive in loving and serving people. Deal with the desires and the motivation way before you get put in the position of being tested and squeezed to blow up on somebody. Let God deal with your heart. Ask Him to cleanse your heart. Acknowledge your sin when you're not loving, you're not joyful, you're not patient, you're not kind. 
And then follow the simple promptings. When the Holy Spirit speaks, take that step. Just go with Him. Whatever He prompts you to do. Um, you may not see a lot of spectacular things every day, but, but following Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, is inevitable. It will come and it's gradual. It will come. And it will gradually come. You'll see more and more fruit as you take step after step after step. Some, some Christians go from high to high, from event to event, and big experience to big experience, and they're just up and down and up and down when they have their experience, and then they don't have experiences for a while. And we shouldn't live like that as Christians. For, for Christians, it's a, it's a day by day, step by step, following Jesus. And as we're following Him, we're gonna have some really big things happen from time to time. Alright? But, but if, if big things aren't happening in our life, then just be steady and faithful and let the Spirit gradually bring forth that fruit in your life. Amen? Because in due season, you will reap in chapter 6 if you don't lose heart. And lastly, ask God to fill you and guide you with His Spirit. Just a practical thing. I do this often. And I do it because I, I need God's help. And I, and I am reminded of my need. I do that before I preach. I do that uh, at work. I do that when I'm at home with the kids. And I'll say, Lord, I'll just a simple prayer. God, help me. Help me to lead them. Help me to love them well. You can do that all the time. Ask God to fill you with His Spirit and guide you. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, He said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give the, the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now we already have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we need more of His uh, leadership in our life. We need more of His fruit. We need Him to, to, to reign over more areas of our hearts, to clean more rooms and kept, uh, cavices and crevices in our heart, right? We need Him to, to reign and rule and direct every area of us. And so let's close in prayer and, and, and doing that very thing. Um, asking the Spirit of God to fill us, to change us, to reign in us. Father, this is glorious. And I feel that I haven't spoke about it with the thrust and the enthusiasm that I should. Because this is really amazing that you've given us your, your presence inside. The person of your spirit inside of us be with us, to lead us. And God, I pray that we would get this and that we would learn to walk it out, to keep in step with your Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, step by step. That we wouldn't see this as um, just mere duty, but that we would find great delight in doing your will, God. 